0: Welcome to the Replant Podcast, providing biblical
1: insight and encouragement to reclaim declining and dying churches for the glory of God and the good of our communities. Hi, I'm Bob Bickford, the Associate Director of Replant. Hey, and I am Mark Clifton, the Director of Replant, and welcome to the very
0: first Replant broadcast, Bob. Well, it's great to be here, Mark. We're excited about the future of replanting, and one of these great resources that we're offering is the podcast for those who are interested in the work of replanting. And that is our topic today. That's
1: right. And today we're on location from beautiful downtown Baser, Kansas, actually. We have a large studio audience here. We, we needed to turn people away because we couldn't fit them all in for the first podcast. And if you would like to attend a replant podcast, just email Blake Diebel at replant at nam.org and say, I want to come to a replant <laughs> Whatever, I don't know. We're, glad, we're <laughs> glad to be here, though. But yeah, we're going to talk about what the word replant means, what the term replant means, right?
0: That's right. So there's been a movement of sorts over the last several years where people have begun to realize that we don't just need to plant churches, but we actually need to
1: address the death and decline rate of churches. Absolutely. We, we as Southern Baptists are really blessed to plant 1,200 churches every year. And uh, we've been doing that for a number of years we have about 46,000 Southern Baptist churches, but you know, 20 years ago, we had about 39,000 Southern Baptist churches. So if we plant 1,000 churches a year, you would think in 20 years, instead of having 39, we would have 59, but we don't. And the reason is quite simple. While we plant 1,200,000 churches a year, it's hard to believe, but we actually close over 900 churches a year.
0: That's a challenging statistic, and that's one that we must address. So what is happening in this world or this effort of replanting?
1: Well, the first thing we had to do was look and make sure those numbers were real, and where were the churches that were closing? Uh, You know, are they out there where nobody lives? Are they in the middle of the desert or something, you know, and and nobody lives there anymore? And unfortunately, Bob, that's not the case. Uh, We drilled down deep in the numbers, uh, and we noticed and realized much to our surprise, that of the 900 churches that closed, uh, over 90% of them were in communities that grew in population, and over 77% of them were in communities over 100,000, and the vast majority of them were churches more than 20 years old. So that means we're not closing new churches that are a year or two old, and we're not closing churches in great numbers out in the places where nobody lives, but we're closing churches that are 20-plus years old, 40 years old, 60 years old, in our communities that are growing, and in cities of larger than 100,000. So that we have to address.
0: One of the realities is that churches go through cycles of reaching the community and maybe not reaching the community like they once did. What are some of the, the reasons why churches come to the place where they need to be replanted?
1: Well, let's, let's talk about what we mean when we say replanted. I mean you and I know yeah. what that means, but let's 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 talk about what that means. It's a word that people use all the time. We didn't dream it up or come up with it. But we have decided at the North American Mission Board uh, a couple of years ago to define it for ourselves and what it means. And for us, a church is a candidate to be replanted when if everything continues as it currently is, they will be gone out of business, unable to proceed. <laughs> after three to five years. So what that means is you look at the attendance and the giving, and you look at the expenditures, and you graph those things out, and if in three to five years they're going to basically be run out of assets, run out of resources, and have no more money, no more people, uh, not going to sustain, then we say that church is a candidate for replant. That means within three to five years, if everything continues, they'll close. Now, real quick, they might sell the parsonage fifty thousand dollars. A dear saint might die and leave him a hundred thousand dollars. I don't factor that in. We don't factor that in. That's kind of life support. And that can go on for years. And so sometimes churches that really otherwise would close do go on for years because they begin to sell off their assets or other things like that. But that's not what we're talking about. If you just took the offerings of the people who are coming and the attendance and the and the evangelism uh, baptisms and church growth numbers of the people who are coming and graph that out Within three to five years, if they're not going to be here any longer, they're a candidate for replant. And right now, that represents four to 6,000 Southern Baptist churches that within three to five years will not be here. This past Sunday morning, uh, 15, 17 Southern Baptist churches had their last Sunday. Next Sunday morning, 15 to 17 Southern Baptist churches had their last Sunday. So replanting is quite simply identifying those churches that will be gone in three to five years, and then, Bob, bringing strategy, resources, focus, all kinds of things toward them, not running away from them, but toward them to help them replant themselves, either from within or have someone come from the outside and help replant them so we don't lose them, so they don't close their doors. We, we just don't want to ignore them any longer. We want to see dying churches as a platform on which to display the grace of God and upon which we can see God work in a very miraculous way. And the good news is that's happening all across North America.
0: That's fantastic news. So kind of back to a question maybe I I led a little too early with, what causes a church to come to the condition that it needs to be replanted?
1: Well, we looked hard and long at um, why churches die. And, of course, there's a variety of reasons. But some of the things that jumped out at us, one of them is they they tend to rely on programs. Um, And that's not unusual. We've, We've sort of taught them to rely on programs. We've sort of taught them there's a program for every problem. And the thing about a program is, Bob, if you work a program, you don't necessarily have to change your heart. You don't have to invest your life. You just say, here's the program, and if the program doesn't work, so be it. Let me give you a really good example. When I go hang out with churches that are about to close, and they ask me for help, I'll often sit down with them and say, hey, if you could have anything you wanted here, what would it look like? And what could you need? What do you need? And invariably, uh, one of them will say something like, well, we used to have a lot of youth here, and we need a youth program. And I say, really, what would that look like? And they say, well, maybe one of the larger churches in town could send over a youth leader and some youth, or maybe the nearby college or seminary could give us a youth leader. If he could just get a youth program going. The reality of it is, Bob, they don't need a youth program. What they need is the 12 or 15 remaining members need to get to know the teenagers in their own neighborhood, need to pray for those teenagers in their own neighborhood, need to really have compassion and ask Jesus to give them a loving heart for the teenagers in their own neighborhood, to serve the teenagers and their families in their own neighborhood, rather than to avoid the teenagers in their own neighborhood, all right? So you don't need a program, you need to change a heart. And so one of the reasons churches die is they rely too much on programs and not enough on really changing their heart and orientating their mind toward Christ and what He would have them to do. Just going to hire a youth leader, and that way I don't have to do anything or change anything, And if the youth leader can't reach youth, well, then we can just fire him. Right. Or if the program doesn't work, we can try another program. So a reliance on programs is one thing. Another thing is ceasing to become part of the fabric of the community. There no doubt was a time in the life of that church when it was very much a part of the fabric of the community. That's why it was planted there. But over time, the community changed. And, you know, that's really one of the greatest frustrations really across the landscape of North America today is that communities aren't stagnant. They don't stay the same. They're constantly changing all the time. And so just about the time a church kind of figures out who's in the community, guess what? It's changing again. And so after a while, churches kind of wear down, and they just quit trying to figure out who's in the community, and they just start doing things for themselves. So the church becomes a place where the members drive their car to the church parking lot, get out of the car, go into the building, have their religious and church-gathered things, and then get back in the car and drive back home As far as the neighborhood's concerned, the church is completely irrelevant. They may have a block party once in a while and let kids jump on a moonwalk and have a snow cone, or they may do one day of service a year, but it really doesn't impact the life of the community. And over time, they they really have removed themselves from the day-to-day life of the community. That's a sign of a church that's in deep decline and perhaps ready to die at some point. And right along with that, Bob, after removing yourself from the texture and the culture of the community comes resenting the community for not responding as it once did. Mm. Uh, you know, if these people were different. These people aren't like us. They don't, they don't come to the things we offer. They, they don't respond to us. These are not the kind of people that were in the neighborhood when we moved in here. And rather than to realize that sovereign God moved those people next door to you, and they are your mission field, and you need to change your heart and your mind and your attitude and whatever you need to change in order to be a missionary to them, resentment grows up. That, you know, our church would be growing if we had different people living in this neighborhood. Um, And there's a variety of other reasons uh, uh, why churches die, but those are three that kind of come to mind initially, and uh, there are many more. And it's not just one, but basically, overarching, churches die because they end up working their plan for their church, not God's plan for their church. Right, so it seems rather than an issue of strategy or staffing, it's a spiritual issue. It really is. I mean... They have a plan for their church, and generally their plan for their church is something they're familiar with, they're comfortable with, they know how to do, they've done for years, and they just want to keep working this plan. Because maybe at some point in time, probably, in the history of that church, it did work. And uh, I love what Henry Blackaby said when he said, "Uh, God is under no obligation whatsoever to resource your plans for His church, but God will spare no asset of heaven to resource his plan for your church so really the beginning of a dying church is when you you move away from what god would have that church to do and his plan for it and we begin to do what's right in our own mind and our own eyes or you know sometimes we just go to a conference hey that works over there let's try this or my friend did that or i i've I've done this before at another church let's try this without ever orientating our hearts and our mind to jesus and what he would have that church to do um and, and that's that's a really important part of what it means to, to understand replanting.
0: Right. So it almost sounds like a spiritual intervention of sorts has to take place for the church to look at itself honestly and then to look at the way it's been approaching
1: ministry and to do something different. Yeah, when a church realizes, you know what? Three to f- Now, sometimes, Bob, they don't admit it. I mean, they just don't admit in three to five years we'll be closed. Like I said, maybe they sold the parsonage or sold a parking lot across the street and they got $150,000 in the bank. Maybe they rent some property. Maybe they got two or three houses and they rent those out. So they can go on indefinitely. But if you, if you back up and say, hey, if, if you just had to use the money that God's people give every week and you're dealing with that, would you still be here in three to six years? It's hard sometimes to get them to acknowledge. No, we wouldn't. Um, it, there's such denial in that. But when they acknowledge, yeah, look, like we're we're gonna we're gonna hit a, a wall here in a little bit, and we're not gonna be able to continue. At that point, you know, the question really has to be, if there are people to be reached in that community, and and you all have the Bible and you believe the Scripture and you love Jesus and you want to follow Him, He's not gonna have this church close if you will submit yourself entirely to Him and do exactly what He ask you to do, and probably what He's going to ask you to do is not what you would do in your own flesh. And He very well may ask you to open your hands, open your heart, and say, we need help, and seek someone who'll come and lead you, and guide you, and do things in a different way, and you're going to have to be willing to release control and seek outside partners who'll come in and help you do things in a different way and reach the community in a way you couldn't have done it before. And for some people, they say, no, I don't think I want to do that. I'd rather keep doing it our way, uh, and we call the shots, and I don't want anybody else telling us what to do. And, you know, the reality is they're not the head of the church. The pastor's not the head of the church. The church has a lead pastor, and his name is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, they need to orientate themselves to him. So sometimes it's a matter of weeks, months, just really focusing on Christ and on prayer and on worship and on passionately following Him and be willing to lay down all of their idols, of nostalgia and control. and An idol is anything we run to for security and comfort. And you know it's a false idol when you're afraid of losing it. Hmm. So when people show up at church and they're afraid that you're gonna change the music or you're gonna change the the, the the style of worship or you're, you're gonna change the organizational structure or you're gonna change the, the schedule, and they're really worried about that, Sometimes that's a a scene that that's a false idol, and and they're finding comfort in those things, whereas if their idol is Jesus, he's never going to leave them, Mm -hmm. and they never have to worry one minute about losing him. So sometimes the first work of a replanter is to get them to lay down their false idols and pursue only Christ, Mm -hmm. and as they pursue him, they'll get to know his heart and his mind for that community, and they'll learn his plan for that community, which may be very different than their plan and they'll be willing to open their minds and their hearts and their hands and ask for outside help and follow direction of Christians who do want to come and help them. And my experience has been, as we see across North America, if churches will come to that place, every church can be replanted. Just like the churches in the book of Revelation, no matter how messed up they were, there was a promise for every church. And the promise was basically, I'm Jesus, listen to me, do what I say. (laughs) And the warning was, I'm Jesus. If you don't listen to me, I'll take care of you. I'll remove your lampstand. Right. You know, the only place in all the Bible where the death of a church is talked about is where Jesus said, I'll remove you. And so I think it's important for dying churches to realize that if, if they do die, there, there's there's an issue there. I mean, Jesus said "If it's disobedience in that right. regard. I know that's hard to hear. And sometimes people say, well, You know, we're not disobedient. We're really trying, and we're at the point now we can't make our bills, and we don't have any choice. We're going to have to close the church. Well, okay, maybe this week, this month, you're not disobedient, but maybe there was a decision you should have made 10 years ago, and you didn't make the right decision. Mm -hmm. You made a decision based on your own biases, your own prejudices, your own desires, and you you took a path 10 years ago, and just today you're hitting that wall. So Mm -hmm. I I really do believe if a church will continue to seek Jesus and follow Him— and if there are people in that neighborhood that still need to be reached, the church does not need to die.
0: That's a really good word. One of the things that you mentioned is is that there's the need for outside help. Who are some of those folks that exist around churches or
1: agencies, or who can help? Who can provide that help? Well, you know, we we plant we see 1,200 churches planted each and every year in Southern Baptist life. Bob, the vast majority of those churches are not just some guy or three or four people going out and doing it all on their own. I mean, that that's not even biblical or appropriate in, many, in any ways. It's churches planting churches, right? So every church plant has a sending church or a group of sending churches, Um Many in our Southern Baptist Convention also have an association or or regional state convention or the North American Mission Board or some other larger entity that comes alongside them. So church plants have a variety of partners, right? They have, they have some financial partners, individuals who send support. They have sending churches that send support. They may have one primary sponsoring church. They're connected to their association, to their, their church planting teams, or their church planting networks in their region, their state convention, the North American Mission Board. And yet when it comes to a dying church, you start talking to some of them about, hey, reach out for help from these other entities, and they go, well, no, no, we, we, we don't want to do that. We, we don't want to give up control. And so your question is, who's willing to help dying churches? I promise you there are many churches across our continent in North America, many churches in every city, many churches in every county that come to you and to me and say, we'd like to help a a church that's struggling and and a dying church. Now, here's the deal. The dying church, when they hear that, they say, oh, help us. That means pay our bills and send us some people. And that's not what we're talking about. That doesn't work for a church plant. You don't just send people and money to a church plant. I mean, you invest in their leadership, you you hold them accountable for their strategy, uh, you share their strategy. And so when uh, when we say there are there are sending churches and and stronger churches and associations and state conventions that want to help dying churches. That mean that's contingent on that dying church not only receiving the help, but receiving the guidance, mm. receiving the leadership. And uh, man, we're fortunate. God's blessed us to be in a Southern Baptist Convention. There is no convention or denomination of churches in North America that has more desire and passion to replant dying churches than this one. Every state convention I'm in, every association I'm in, and of course the North American Mission Board and Lifeway, they're all so committed to helping dying churches. And that's the message we just want to get out there. You don't have to go through this alone. Right. But so many of them, Bob, are unwilling to receive the help because it involves making changes. Right. And I go back to what I said before, it's because their heart and their attitude and their mind is not orientated to Jesus. And, and they would rather hold on to what they've got than really release it and follow him and his plan. Because there's a lot of risk in that. There's a lot of uncertainty in that. Anytime you follow Jesus, take up your cross daily and follow me. I mean, it, 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 it is a costly following, but it's a worthy, it, it's a joyful following. It's a purposeful following. It, it makes all the difference in the world. And uh, so that's, that's what we look at when we say churches can be replanted sponsoring churches, associations, state convention networks, North American Mission Board, LifeWay, all kinds of people want to help your church if you're about to die. But you have to receive the help and the guidance and not 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 shut down and say, no, we're only going to do it our way.
0: Right. That's a good word. So many churches do get at that point of fear, and they're uh, hesitant to take those courageous steps to make those difficult decisions to move forward. So In terms of replanting, is there a one-size-fits-all replant, or are there other pathways or other types of replants?
1: Oh, there's all kinds of ways to replant. There's there's really four main pathways. And and what we're trying to do from the North American Mission Board standpoint is just change the narrative that dying churches have no hope. We want anyone who's in a congregation that that there are still people in that community to be reached— to know that someone is willing to come alongside and help you and so you know the four replant pathways if you will or four replant arenas are pretty pretty obvious they're not like we dreamed them up we just identified what we see happening the first one is that the the dying church really is completely out of money out of people just they don't have the energy to even think about doing anything on their own but they can give that property and all of its assets and all their resources to one of their southern baptist partners now that's a key issue a lot of times a church that's about ready to die they're they're kind of vulnerable and sometimes a a, uh you know a fly by night if you will i shouldn't use that phrase but anyway a fly by night kind of uh, unknown church group might show up and say we sure would like to have this building and and uh, maybe court the pastor and court the church and tell them everything they want to hear and and, you know, the church may, may give it to them or sell it to them on a contract for deed or something like that, or even maybe sell it to them on a, on a bank loan, and they get a bank loan. But that new church is not maybe Southern Baptist. It, it doesn't have the backing of other people. And I've seen this happen many times. Mm-hmm. And within two or three years of them taking over that building or buying that building, they can't make the payments or they can't keep it up. And then they sell it to somebody, and then they sell it to somebody, and then four or five years down the road, that thing is a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Or it's it's an apartment complex, or I can name numbers of places where it's now a mosque. Mm -hmm. Well, the the people who left that church didn't turn it into a mosque or sell it to a mosque, but because they didn't entrust it to a, a strong partner who could make sure that that asset was always used for kingdom purposes ongoing, they left that property vulnerable. So when we say give the property to a partner, we mean your state convention or your association, or a strong church in your city that's going to manage it, take care of it, perhaps put another church in it, number one. So give it to a strong Southern Baptist partner that's going to keep that church going, and that history, and that legacy of that church going. Number two is you can merge with a new church. There are a lot of new Southern Baptist churches that need buildings. Again, working with your state convention and your association to make sure this is a a strong Southern Baptist church plant that's got viability, got strength, got assets, can handle this building. I've seen so many times where the the declining and dying church is just merged into the new church, and the new church loves and cares for those remaining members and brings them right into their own fold, and they get to share that building uh, of the the old church with the new church, so merge with the new church. Sometimes it's a a larger church in the city that takes over the building and it becomes a campus of theirs. We see this more and more, and uh, that's a good model. It works most every time it's tried. Uh, the only shortcoming there is there's a certain limited number of churches that can do that, uh, and so. but in those models where it works, it can work well. So give it to a partner, a Southern Baptist partner who can manage it well and make sure the asset is used for the kingdom. Give it and share it or merge with a church plant that can handle it, or... Um, the, uh, the the third one is use it for a campus of a larger church. The fourth arena is where we spend a lot of our time, and as okay, re- replant from within. And that's where the remaining members acknowledge that, that they, much like the church in Ephesus, where Jesus said, I know all your good works, how hard you work, and how much you toil, and how much you give up for my namesake, and how you value good doctrine. That's about every dying church I've ever seen, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then he says this, but... Uh, you forgot how far you've fallen, repent and return to those things you did at first. Well, the things they did at first, basically, the church at Ephesus was started with a riot. I mean, literally, they changed the culture of that town in such a way through their evangelism and, and sharing the gospel that the whole town turned upside down. And then 40 years later in the book of Revelation, they're not doing that anymore. And so... a a replant from within is to to acknowledge and repent that we've made some mistakes, we've gotten off track, and remember why we were planted and return to those things. And then it's also to basically give up day-to-day control to some approved sort of outside uh, helping church, whether it's a sending church, a sponsoring church, a state convention an association in Southern Baptist Life, and you just say, look, we don't want to close, but we realize we've come to an end in ourselves, and we're willing to receive outside help. And then you let one of those entities work a plan to help that church replant from within as though it was a new church plant, using the remaining members as part of the launch team, probably bringing some other people from other places to augment that launch team, and most often, Bob, bringing in a new pastor who will replant that and start it all over again. It's a very long process. It's a very hard process. Uh, I spent Thirty years as a church planter and had a chance to plant a dozen churches I've replanted and I don't have any I don't have any hesitation telling you replanting is much much harder but there's a, a wonderful joy that takes place in it and so uh, that's what replanting from within is it's it's acknowledging we're at the end asking for help receiving that help giving up day-to-day control and then uh, taking the remaining members with a new leadership and some new core and just starting all over again you don't have to change the name you don't have to close the church down but everything about it changes.
0: Right. So it, and you mentioned in that last option,
1: replanting from within,
0: calling a new pastor. Is it just any pastor, or does he have to be a certain kind of
1: pastor? Well, obviously, he needs to be called to replant a dying church. And so one of the things we've done at the North American Mission Board and the replant team, we've spent a lot of time lately looking at characteristics of men that God has called and has been they have been successful at replanting. And so we've identified about eight characteristics. Uh, we won't run through them all here. You can find them on our website, churchreplanters.com. Uh, but they're things like uh, multi-generational ministry, tactical patience, being able to know pacing. Just because, I don't, just because I don't change something doesn't mean I agree with it and doesn't mean I'm never gonna change it, but I'm okay with not changing it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, visionary shepherd, someone who can lead people by shepherding them, not just by their vision, but by loving them and caring for them. So there's about eight characteristics we look for in a man that we have seen God use uh, in other men's lives who've been successful at replanting. And so we try to help guys understand those giftednesses that they might have in those areas and help the church call a pastor who has some replanting gifts and skills that he's exhibited. Uh, Our own team can help assess replanters. A lot of state conventions and associations are learning how to assess replanters just like they know how to assess church planters. It's all kind of learning new for us, but God's really opening some great doors so that our desire is that we can assess a lot of men and say, you know what, looks like God has really wired you up to go to a replant. And then if we can connect those guys to the churches that want to be replanted, that becomes a game changer.
0: That's a great, great word there. Some of the resources that we've produced in uh, the North American Mission Board's effort to help churches live and be replanted, uh, your book, for one, Reclaiming Glory... Uh, and that's available on Amazon, and we don't have any copies here at the podcast right now. We just gave them all <laughs> we just away. We gave them all away. That's right. Um, and then that information uh, is listed as well on churchreplanters.com, and there are two sections in particular, one for a church that might need help to figure out where they are, and then also for a person, a man who is considering a call to replanting. Mark, as we close... What is it that excites you most about this replanting movement?
1: It's the fact that in replanting a dying church, you are um, battling for God's glory. Because a dying church really does rob God of his glory. What about a dying church that says, Our God is great and his gospel is powerful? And we know that the church is a building, excuse me, we know the church is not a building, the church is people. But the community, does identify the building as the presence of God in that neighborhood. They truly do. So when that building becomes deteriorated, when it becomes vacant, when they close the doors, that makes a statement to the community, and that statement is that our God is unable to even keep this church going, let alone transform your life. And so replanting not only reaches a neighborhood and, and, and makes disciples, but it glorifies God because it takes something that was robbing God of His glory, and it becomes a platform on which to display God's glory. So the most awesome thing about church planting to me is ultimately it's an act of worship, because it allows us to make much of God as we reclaim a church for His glory, so that the world can see and the world can enjoy.
0: Well, Mark, thanks for walking us through this important work of replanting, and we want to thank our listeners for joining us for the first ever Replant Podcast. More to come. Absolutely. Yes, more to come. And you
1: did a good job. Uh, Bob was using sock puppets through the whole thing, <laughs> and uh, it was really good. We'll have to get the video camera on next time. So yeah, we'll have can to do a And lot. you actually made those at home, didn't
0: you? Yes, my kids and I make those That's on a regular great. basis. So, so if you want sock puppets,
1: just email replant at NAM.net, Net. and Bob will send you a set of sock puppets. You got Moses and Ezekiel. Yeah. And and he also has some flannel graph fixtures. He'll, yes. He'll be glad to give you for children's churches. Yeah, we
0: found those at churches that need to be replanted. That's so right. We and have we, those plenty. And, and
1: we scotch taped the uh, the shepherd <laughs> staff together because they were always torn. That's awesome.
0: Well, if you do need resources for the work of replanting and not necessarily just sock puppets, you can check us out at Church Replanters. That's replanters with an S.com. For resources and equipping, and then you can also go to nam.net. Thanks for joining us here on the Replant Podcast.
1: Thank you for listening to the Replant Podcast, a resource of the Send Network of the North American Mission Board. For more information, visit churchreplanters.com.